Let's look this morning then at our scripture passage, which is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. I invite you to hear these words. This is Jesus speaking to his followers. He says, you are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we gather this morning underneath the beautiful summer sun. And we pray for your peace. We pray, Lord... That in a world that oftentimes seems lost and in darkness, that you would help us to listen not to those who scream in despair, but to you as the Prince of Peace. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen and amen. Well, as you all know, like any good teacher, Jesus was oftentimes trying to come up with images that he thought would be helpful to convey his message. He was oftentimes using metaphors or analogies. He'd come up with a woman who lost a coin or a father whose son had run away or images like a mustard seed or or salt All of these things in the hopes that people would be able to, that his followers would understand more deeply who he was and who he had called them to be. Well, this week, of course, we see in our passage that the image that Jesus is using is the image of light. Now, as oftentimes happens whenever we're thinking through the images that they used 2,000 years ago, there's a part of that that we understand, but there's also a part of it that, quite frankly, uh, we don't quite fully grasp. What I mean is that we all understand what light is, right? Everyone, good. So we know what light is, but what we don't probably understand is just what what a precious commodity light would have been 2,000 years ago. See, we just don't get it. When, when we want light, all we have to do is, is do this. Clap on, clap off, clap on, clap off. clapper. Let you turn things on or off from anywhere in the See? room. Just plug in the clapper and a television, lamp, stereo, almost anything you want to clap on and off. Clap on, clap off. The Clapper is now available at all Hills department stores, Phase Drugs, and Wegman Food Pharmacies. There you go. Just like that, all of a sudden, there is light. Who remembers that commercial? I love that commercial. So that's all we have to do. And now we don't even have to do that. Nowadays, in many of our rooms, you just walk in and all of a sudden, the light just appears. 
Right? So we don't even think about how unique or how important light is, right? But of course, back in the day, that would have been very different. I mean, light would have been such a precious commodity. I mean, in a place where, you know, you couldn't just flip it on or flip it off. You'd have to have some kind of flame. And even then... It's not like it would just all of a sudden expose all the darkness for, for feet or, or, or miles away. It was just right there, right around where you are, right? Perhaps every once in a while we get a glimpse of this, right? When the electricity goes off in the middle of the night, right? You remember this, right? And you kind of, you, you think you know where everything is, but you don't. All of a sudden touch becomes really important. You know what I'm talking about? You're, you're kind of going around and you're trying to kind of feel that and you think, oh, I thought I knew where everything was. And in that moment, everything is much more fearful than before, well, see, this is how the early disciples would have heard this. When Jesus said, you are the light in a world that is dark, they would have, they would have glammed onto this because they would have said, oh, this is unique and powerful. Light was a powerful thing. Of course, the other aspect of this image of light is just how multi-layered or multivalent it is. Light can mean many different things. It's a really powerful image. One of the things someone's pointed out is that what light does, light is not there to be seen. It is there to reveal things as they actually are. Maybe you've flown into a city or into a foreign country at some point in the middle of the night and when you look out, you, don't, you can't see that much. It can be kind of daunting or scary. But then when you wake up the next morning and you look out, all of a sudden things seem much less dangerous. They seem much less shadowy, much less concerning, right? Because all of a sudden, you know, you can see things, right? And it's less daunting. It's not as big of a deal. Or, or think about a shadow puppet, right? Think about a shadow puppet. And, and, and you can make this great shadow puppet up on a wall, right, of a dog, right? This is the most common of the shadow puppets. I looked it up, it is. And so you can look it up, and, and, and as you look up, it can be pretty, especially if you're a kid, right, and you see this dark kind of dog, right, and you're like, you know, what is that thing? Especially if you make, this is what I do with my kids, growling noises, right? But then if somebody ruins it by coming on, and what can you do? Flip on the light, and all of a sudden, they look over, and you're just this weird guy doing this. Well, that's what you were doing the whole time. You were really just doing that. But when the light comes on, all of a sudden, it doesn't seem nearly as scary as it once did. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't scary or dark or depressing things. But what it does mean is that as a people of light, we are called to help people to see things in a larger way, in a kingdom Way. And when we begin to do that, all of a sudden, those things that seem so scary and so powerful and so depressing can oftentimes begin to fall into the background. You see, I feel quite confident that our culture focuses primarily on what is dark, on what is distressing, on what is fearful, on what causes anxieties. We almost seem addicted in our culture to focus on all of those things. But a people of the light, a people who follow the Prince of Peace are called to a different kind of way. Remember last week, um, if you were here, I talked a little bit about the uh, upcoming election. I know you're like, upcoming? Yeah, I know it's, it's a good 15 months away, but I'm trying to give us plenty of time to prepare for it. And what we talked about is this reality. We know this is going to happen, that when the election occurs, that there are going to be so many people who feel like all is lost. 
There's going to be a panic of darkness that is going to overwhelm. There is going to be words of doom and destruction. No matter what happens, that is going to occur. Whether the candidate you want to win or not, you can rest assured that there are going to be millions who scream, all is lost. And what we need to happen in the midst of that is to not have another group of people, a.k.a. Christians, who are running around and saying, you're right! The end of the world is here! But I have seen so many followers of Jesus, of the Prince of Peace, of the one who we say we think is in control, join up arms with others who have no sense of God and just say, get out of here! All is lost. And we're called to be a people who believe that God is in control. Again, that doesn't mean that you can't be disappointed. It doesn't mean that you can't cheer on for your candidate. But it means that no matter what happens in terms of our human elections, that God is on the throne. And that we're called to be the light Last week when I was talking about this uh, political campaign, uh, we had one of our high schoolers who I'm glad was in here and he was listening. I love that. And so we sent a text to Elia uh, Morakovich, who are our next-gen pastor. And, uh, and, and the text was this. It says, Jerry brings up politics in the congregation. And you can see they're profusely sweating. <laughs> that is Awesome. The reason it's funny is because it is so true. When I bring up anything political, I mean, a pin could drop, right? I mean, it's just like, but what I also want you to see is that it also reveals something, which is that our kids are aware of what is happening. I was recently talking to a middle school teacher who's been teaching for over three decades, and he said that during the last election in 2016, that he could see a difference in the way the kids were behaving. You see, they listen to us. They listen to others who are talking about these things. And the last thing that they need and the last thing that our neighbors need is somebody else who is giving in to all of the anxiety and the depression and the darkness that is so prevalent. What they need are people who can be honest about those things, but at the same time can say, but we are not fearful because we know the light and the light is showing things as they actually And that means that ultimately, God is in control. Light helps us to see things as they actually are. Now, there's something else that light does, which is that light can oftentimes serve as a beacon of hope, as a way of understanding the direction in which we should be going. Think about a lighthouse, right? And sailors, as they come, when they see a lighthouse, they know, okay, there's obstacles up there. Don't run into the lighthouse, clearly. But it also is this great sign of, okay, well, if that's where the lighthouse is, now I know which direction I can head. And see, I think light does that. It helps us to know how to move forward, Last, uh, a couple months ago now, um, we were in uh, rural Missouri, the middle of nowhere Missouri where my dad lives, and 
you know, one of those places there's no light pollution, so at night it's just super dark. And Megan, my wife, she needed to go out to the van to get something, and so she had to walk out on the front porch, and then there's two steps into the yard, and for some reason the front porch light wasn't working, and so uh, she had to go out. Now, now it's a screened-in porch, except for the fact that what she didn't realize is that my dad um, had taken off all the screens uh, uh, because he was changing them over. He hadn't yet put the new one out, and so, so well, what, what, what she also didn't know is my dad had also just put in a bunch of cameras. <laughs> Much to the rest of our joy, because what we got to do the next day is to watch Megan as she was trying to find the screen door. And so there, you know, she was pawing. She's like, You know, this is what you do, right? I mean, you're like, where is that stupid thing, you know? And you're just, and this is what she, it was so much fun. Oh, it was the best. So it's up on YouTube. I'll show you later. So there she is because she didn't know the way forward, right? She thought I understood. Oh, okay. But she didn't know the way forward. See, and what light would have done, obviously, is help to direct her way. When people are caught up in darkness, they do not know which way to go. And one of the things that we believe is that the gospel sheds light on who you are, why you're here, and where you are supposed to be going. Right? A sense of, hey, if you are lost with your purpose, if you don't know why exactly it is that you're here, you're here because you are a creation of the Almighty and God loves you. What are you called to do? You are called to join the mission that he is on to build for God's kingdom. One of the great gospel things we get to do is help people who are lost to be able to find their way, to help people who are caught in darkness, to be able to show them the light. This is one of the calls of a people. This is why we are a witness to Jesus Christ so that those who are lost in darkness can know the direction in which they are called to go. Now, it is also true, as one commentator said, that not everybody, including ourselves at times, wants the light. There are times when, quite frankly, we would prefer to stay in the darkness. When I was a kid, I told you all before, we always stayed in Really, really cruddy hotels. And one night, in the middle of the night, my father got tired of hearing my sister and I. We were sleeping in this bed, and, and, and we kept hearing things. And we were, just kept complaining, and he kept telling us to be quiet. And we, you know, we were more scared of whatever we heard than we were of my father, which took a lot, quite frankly. And we were like, ah. So finally, he turned the light on. And when he did, we looked up on the wall. And as a kid, it felt like there were hundreds. It was probably only tens, but there were so many cockroaches. We call that child abuse today. And they just went scurrying into the darkness. Now in that moment, I'm going to be honest with you. I wish that my dad had never turned the light on at all. Because I was not comfortable trying to go back to sleep after that. It was brutal. You know, you just, you just keep feeling things, right? Well, the reality is, of course, is that not everybody wants to know what's in those dark places of themselves. And so one of the things that we do as a church that we talk about is we have to be honest about those things. We need to be a place, as we said last Sunday, where we can honestly confess our struggles, where we can confess the brokenness of the world, where we can confess the sin in our own lives, those places that we would rather hide because what we know is that until they are exposed to Jesus Christ, until they come to light, there is never healing. 
We will never be made whole as long as we keep things in the darkness. And so we believe that the light, as a people of the light, we can be a people who come alongside those who are afraid of the darkness and we can accompany them and help them to begin to see the way of Christ. So when Jesus said, you are the light, he meant all of these things, it seems to me. And it's a beautiful image. It's an important image. It brings unity where there is disunity. It brings peace where there is strife. It brings hope in Jesus Christ when so many are willing to follow so many other gods. It is a beautiful portrait. But the danger it seems to me, as I thought about it this week, is that it is such a beautiful portrait that we simply look at it and we hang it up on the wall and then we go about our everyday normal life. And I think that a part of the reason why we do that is because we fail to understand the significance of how Jesus begins this particular passage. Did you hear it? Jesus begins by saying this, you are the light. Now, most of us just kind of skim right over that. So let me just take a couple minutes to decipher that a bit more. When Jesus says you, and you may know this already, he doesn't say it in the singular. He says it in the plural. Of course, we don't do that uh, in our scripture, unfortunately. But, but really, of course, what Jesus is saying is y'all, Right? or you all, or if you're from Western Pennsylvania, yins, whatever it is, Jesus is saying, you all as a community, not just one person, but as a community, all of you. This is not just for you. This is for all of you. But not only does he say y'all, he says it with emphasis. You know this, many of you, if you've studied a foreign language, which is that the way they oftentimes conjugate verbs, it's true in the Greek, is that they do the verb in such a way that you already know it's second person plural, right? The word are, the way it is are, will tell you it's second person plural. So you don't have to actually write Y-O-U. It's a great time saver. However, if you decide to include that word or write that word, what it means is that they are trying to emphasize it even more. So what Jesus is saying is not just y'all. He's saying y'all, Donald, Norman, Neiman, Jr. I just called it out for everybody. (laughs) You are the one. Jeremy Lawrence Deck. Scott, I can't remember your middle name. Scott Thomas Shelton. Y'all, you, not the person next to you, not the one who's got it all figured out. No, 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 no. You all. And not just that. Here's the thing. This is the last thing. This is the real kicker. This is the one that we get lost in every time. Are the light. Are. Jesus didn't say, wouldn't it be nice if someday there was a light and that was able to shine out over all the darkness? Wouldn't it be great if one day, perhaps even you, one day, I mean, far off in the distance, more than likely when you're on your deathbed, if all of a sudden at that moment you became the light? Jesus says, y'all are the light. And that's not easy for us. 
You see, we get all uncomfortable with that, primarily because we're Midwestern Hoosiers. We're like, oh, no, 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 we deflect that. No, 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 no fanfare. Oh, we're salt of the earth. No, 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 I'm not. I mean, you, you don't understand. I've got all these inadequacies. I've got all these shortfalls. We've got to be humble. No, 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 we're nothing. We're not that great. We're not that. And I want to listen to you, except for the fact that there are times, right, when you need to listen to Jesus and not to you. Well, maybe that's not true for you, but there are times when we need to listen to Jesus and not to ourselves and not to one another. And it is Jesus, Jerry doesn't make this up. It is Jesus who says, y'all are the light. And we focus far too much on saying, oh no, we're not. This theological term here, and you may have heard this before, is that the imperative always follows the indicative which is just a dumb way or or a fancy way of saying what you do always follows who you are and who you think you are. And we spend so much time thinking about what we don't do and who we're not that we forget that Jesus said, you are critically important. You are significant. You are the light right Now, whether you think you act like it, whether you think you are, Jesus looks at you and says, you are the light. One of the jobs of a pastor is to point that out. Because we waste a lot of time thinking that we're falling far too short. So I want to tell you some of the ways that you're the light and you are not going to like this. But I don't care. You're giving away this year, remember, over half a million dollars that we are giving away to spread the gospel in far-flung places like Mongolia or Thailand, to plant churches in Romania, to give people from war-torn places like Syria a place of peace and hope. We're doing it in order to let people know on the eastern side and the western side of Indianapolis that they have not been forgotten. Who's doing that? Ah, someone bold enough to say it. He probably said, we are, and then kind of looked away, right? You are. Think about Great Banquet. We just heard this. I can't tell you how much work it is to pull off a great banquet. It takes a lot of time. I mean, it takes an enormous amount of energy. And do you know why people are doing this? Because they know that there are people in our community who are struggling. People who are in darkness and who are looking for light. People whose priorities are out of whack. People whose relationships are in shambles. People who are incredibly successful in all that they do, but they feel remarkably empty. And so the people in the great banquet are doing this not because they're getting paid. Is this volunteer? It is, right? Good. Not because they're getting paid, but because they love people and because they are the light. Who is doing this? We are. I think about, I always love talking about my second, uh, what are they, second halfers. Seasoned saints. I love, I say this probably every, I hope you guys remember this. Every three or four months, I try to remind you how much I love our seasoned saints. You see, our seasoned saints, they don't put their light, they don't put a bushel basket or an umbrella drink over their light just because they're retired. They're crazy. I mean, they just keep going. It's remarkable. They go on mission trips. And yeah, you know what? Sometimes they're out on these places and they're walking the next day. They got a little bit of a, you know, but they don't stop. 
It doesn't matter. They keep going. They serve the food pantry. They give in remarkable ways for the mission of the church. And one of the greatest assets of our second halfers is they are incredibly encouraging. If you are wondering, how can I be the light today? Be an encouragement to someone. I will say this from first, I mean, firsthand experience. Our second halfers, they have in so many times when maybe I've been discouraged about something or just kind of going along, have been incredibly encouraging. If you are in a place of darkness, find somebody. Now don't tell them, hey, I'm coming up to you because you look like a second halfer because they might just be 35, right? (laughs) But find someone who you think looks like they've experienced some life. And have a conversation with them because they will listen to you, they will love you, and they will encourage you. Even our retired pastors. I mean, when I look forward, I don't know, Scott, about you. When I look forward to retiring, I'm like, man, I'm finding a mountain where nobody knows me and I'm just hiding out. Our retired pastors are going to Malawi and Uganda and Japan in order to spread the gospel. It's depressing a little bit, right? But why are they doing that? Because they are being the light. I mean, I could keep going. I could talk about the people who have done experiments in the neighborhoods and the way that people have been drawn to them, the way that people have shared their own darknesses and struggles that they never would have had our people not been willing to be the light. I could go on and on. I know you guys are shutting down because it's too hard for you to hear these things, but I want you to know this. Do not leave this place today without believing or without at least wondering if it isn't true, what not what Jerry said, but what Jesus said, which is that you are the light. And if there's one thing I want you to do after you've left this place is I want you to write down one place as hard as it may be for you to do where you have been the light. Because my guess is you guys spend about 95% of your time thinking about the things you haven't done that you should have done. Now, let me say one last thing. In light, no pun intended, on last weekend. One of the things that I feel solidly convinced of is the fact that this place here at 116th and Michigan is the light of Christ as well. I've said before how impressed I am, how thankful I am for the courageous men and women who over three decades ago looked at this site on what was then a two-lane dusty road, basically, and said, we think the Lord is calling us here. That took an inordinate, now it makes all the sense in the world. Then it took courage and risk and a lot of faith. But one of the things that's happened, of course, is that the area around us has absolutely boomed. And I want, I want you to just see how the message translate this last verse or two of the passage I read earlier. I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine, keep open house, be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you will prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. As you come down, Michigan coming north, you go down that that little valley, and this is as valley as central Indiana gets. And you come up, there is no question that this is a light, that this place gets noticed. Now part of the struggle with that is it makes us very vulnerable. 
We get a lot more interaction in here. We get a lot more folks that come in here during the week than most other churches in Zionsville. That's just the case. When it comes to gas vouchers, we give away 95% of them in all of Zionsville. People know that we are here. That makes us vulnerable. And we have to think through how we can be secure in the midst of that. But let me also make it very clear that this place is a gift from God and it is one which we are called to steward. And while we will do what we have to to remain secure, we will never stop being the light. And as long at least as I am here, we will keep feeding those who are hungry. Keep giving a drink to those who are thirsty. Keep welcoming as brother and sister those who were once strangers. Keep being a place of peace for those who are struggling and in strife. Keep being a place that shows the light of Christ to those who are in a place of darkness. We will continue to shine, not because we want to, but because we have to, because Jesus says it is who we We are. And my hope and my prayer is that as they continue to come from the north and the south, the east and the west, that when they come into this place, that they will find a place of comfort and rest. That they will find a people who will welcome them and give them hope that they will find a light that as John 1 says, no darkness, no darkness can ever overwhelm. Why? Because Jesus said, we are the light. Amen? Let us pray. God, we are tempted at times to give in to the darkness that is so prevalent in our midst. And we are tempted more often than we might like to think to focus on our own darkness, our own inadequacies, those places that we come up short. And yet in the midst of that, there is this voice from you, a voice that keeps saying, you are the light. You are the light. I pray that today and in the days, weeks, months, and years to come, that we will never give in to the darkness that is around us, but that we will hear your voice with clarity and that we would live fully into who you say we are. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen.